Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning, Elliott Accountants, and Business Advisors. Tyler, what's been catching your eyes this week in the world of business news? Yeah, I got to go to VIF, uh, Vancouver International Film Festival's industry forum that they're putting on. This is all about sustainable productions. And it's, I got to moderate one panel. I also got to cover one panel for the uh, newspaper. So it's fascinating stuff because, look, you think of the film industry, you got all these documentaries. Leonardo DiCaprio is always trying to raise awareness about uh, pollution. That's right. This is an industry where you build sets and toss them in the garbage. Uh, as soon as you're done filming, uh, you you need to go on location. You're running diesel generators that just that spew uh, you know liters upon liters mm-hmm. of uh, fumes into the atmosphere, uh, burnt up liters, of course. So it's a very pollution-heavy sort of industry. So these VIF panels um, that I was attending, uh, they had industry experts really diving into it. Right now, the sense that I get is that there are some solutions. Okay. Um, for example, one uh, one uh, Garvin Eddy, uh, he's a UBC professor. He's a LA-based production designer. He's done tons of things on like shows like Roseanne, uh, Third Rock from mm. the Sun, that sort of stuff. He's pointing out that in the film industry, you use kind of this wood that is just the worst wood possible, but it's cheap. That's why they use right. it. So he's trying to find like alternatives to wood, get funding research for that. That's just one sort of solution out there. Other stuff that's going on, these diesel generators, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so big productions, the uh, film gaffer in charge of Deadpool 2, he's like, I wish we could do more of these portable electric. Portable electric is Vancouver-based company. These electricity uh generators uh, units that you're able to bring on just plug in get your energy that way as opposed to running a diesel generator he wishes he could use more of them but for a big production it's just not feasible you've got demands from producers directors what have you they can't do it right now but we did speak to other technicians from smaller industry smaller projects that are like you know what i actually filmed an entire an entire movie only using these portable electric units so they're they're emissions free essentially thing to question and this is what they brought up is okay these are big giant batteries what happens at the end of the life cycle uh, life cycle for these batteries right are they going to end up in incinerators or what have you so there, there are concerns so uh, very much kind of a fascinating discussion going on about the film industry and sustainability and how we're making strides but not so many great solutions right now that's interesting yeah when you think about uh, a tv show that say has a permanent set obviously they can build something they'll get a lot of use out of it but for a lot of these you know single episode or they're transitioning to different venues or you know it's a feature film yeah a lot of that's going to end up in the landfill so it is quite wasteful and i can see too how industry hasn't maybe wanted to invest in higher grade eco-friendly materials that are going to end up being chucked at the end yeah. of you know a month or what have you but yeah, it sounds like at least there's a lot of opportunities to bring some of those emissions and costs and pollution down. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do that. I don't know why they don't just, I don't know, sell off a lot of these sets. It'd be, wouldn't you want, I don't know, some memorabilia that you could uh, put in your room or uh, redecorate your apartment so that it looks like, I don't know, the, the set of Central Perk from Friends or something like that? You know what? That's a good idea. They could do that. Yeah. They raise money for a good cause or recoup some costs. I know sort of reverse of that. My mom had an item on Craigslist and was reached out to by someone from Riverdale, which of course films uh-huh. locally. Okay. So there are people buying, you know, used goods to support R- red hair dye. Sorry. Was it red hair dye? <laughs> no. No. Okay. No, it was actually, it was a dresser. So I, I don't know. 
I don't know. They they didn't go with it. So my mom's dresser is not famous. Oh. We're not going to be in the next season of Riverdale. That's too bad. But yeah, they could. There's no reason why they couldn't, you know, auction off or have people come and sort of rate a set at yeah. the end of it. Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe flimsy material. Maybe there's safety issues, but who knows? But uh, Haley, what's catching your eye? Well, there's big news with regard to the EU holding multinational tech companies to account. We've seen them do this before. This week, the European Union ordered Amazon to pay 250 million euros in back taxes to the state of Luxembourg, which is where Amazon has its European headquarters. Now, the EU is claiming that the company has benefited from uh, it's colloquially called a sweetheart deal, so a low tax deal. And they have gone so far as to say that Amazon actually hasn't paid tax on three quarters of its profits in Europe and that it benefits from a tax rate that's four times lower than the tax rate given to local companies. Now, Amazon has been very quick to come out and say, we don't feel as though we were given preferential treatment, as tends to be the case. Why are you in Luxembourg then if you're not well, looking exactly. for preferential treatment? No, it, exactly. I think that it's what, a population of a couple hundred thousand people there? Its uh, entire kind of economy is based on being a bit of a haven for uh, lots of other companies. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why Amazon would want to be in a situation like that. Exactly. You know, it is illegal in the European Union, of course, to have member states sort of offering lower tax rates to attract business and sort of driving down the tax rate by competing with other members. We saw last year the EU uh, crack down on Ireland. Same thing going on with Apple in a, an even bigger case. They ordered Apple to pay Ireland 13 billion euros in back taxes. Both Ireland and Apple appealing that, but the EU said this week, despite all of that and despite it's still sort of ongoing, it's taking Ireland to court because it says it has not done enough yeah. to uh, recoup some of those taxes from Apple. And furthermore, you know, the EU is arguing it's a preferential tax that Apple gets. And so as it hasn't done anything, it's continued to benefit from a low tax rate. And it's really more of a, a situation where maybe these big companies are it's more like they're domiciled in, say, those respective uh, jurisdictions, whereas like operations are, are, are not going on. Like the head of operations is not going to be in Ireland, for example, like, no. like head of European operations, for example. It's more kind of a domiciled situation, which... I, you know, I, I can understand why regulators are cracking down on this. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, of course, a situation where I think if you don't take a stance, you know, or a strong enough stance, Apple could just go to another state or something. I'm sure other states would love yeah. to have that business. So it's trying to manage all member states and ensuring things are equal. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600, or you can check them out online at manningelliot.ca. What else is catching your attention this week? Well, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister, mm -hmm. uh, he announced his proposed excise tax for the cannabis industry uh, when it becomes rec uh, legalized, and uh, he's proposing a dollar per gram up to $10, plus 10% on prices over $10. A lot of question marks over this. I, I, I don't know. I don't believe it's clear right now if consumers will be facing, say, uh, GST, PST, HST, depends on the jurisdiction, of course. But we are getting more details about what some sort of 
legalized cannabis situation industry is going to be looking like, especially at maybe the retail side of things. But I, I do wonder how far is BC into grappling with a lot of these issues. We had, uh, you know, uh, John Horgan just this week, Premier of British Columbia, he made reference to the fact that Canada's very, very, or I should say British Columbia's very, very large uh, dispensary uh, industry base uh, it could be beneficial towards the legalized industry. It's just a matter of, of kind of this integration process that I, I don't think has garnered much traction up to this point. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one because I think there might be some critics who have said, well, you know what, uh, dispensaries got a leg up on this business. They weren't operating lawfully or yeah. legally. And you know what, if they're now all of a sudden it's legalized in Canada and so they're allowed to transition to being a lawful business, I, I can imagine some players being upset at that. Or what are there people doing in other industries that are maybe not so legal right now saying, hey, I'm just going to set up and uh, wait until it becomes legalized. I'm, I'm going to pin my hopes on that. There you go. I don't think there's too many comparable industries, though. But yeah, you do tough. wonder if, you know, bending the rules or, or I guess breaking them to certain points. Uh, wrist slaps comes to mind. That's maybe yeah. if that. I don't we know. haven't. I mean... If you look south of the border and how, you know, marijuana is handled in some states and has been historically, it's nothing like that in British Columbia, right? And Vancouver has uh, done a lot to sort of allow an industry to to grow, even though it's a legal one. Yeah. So in other news, Sears Canada, that saga is continuing. It was in court this week to seek an extension to its creditor protection. It got it. So it's protected until November 7th. But it has a couple deadlines coming up that it needs to pay attention to. The first being that it needs to sign a liquidation agreement by October 7th. That's just a couple days away. And that's sort of going to underscore or serve a purpose if Sears Canada cannot reach a deal with a buyer group. Now, there's a revised bid on the table. Sears Canada has been ordered by the court to assess this and come to a decision as to whether or not it'll take the deal by October 13th. So that's next Friday. So in the next week or so, we should have a bit more clarity about whether we're going to see Sears Canada move forward under a new ownership structure or if we're going to see the retailer liquidated. feels as if we're on the Sears Canada death march, death watch to a certain degree. It's just kind of like... And it's slow. And, and it's, it's being dragged slow. out. Yeah. Yeah. It also uh, it got approval to close an additional 11 stores, including some in um, Nanaimo, Kelowna, and Burnaby, so out here in BC. Uh, also concerns about that hardship fund it set up for employees. It's supposed to be a half a million dollar fund. It only reportedly has $300,000 in it, so some concern on behalf of representatives for former Sears Canada employees who were let go without severance, not necessarily going to be receiving the full amount they were promised. And it just seems like such a paltry amount in the first place. You, you really do feel bad for the families and the employees affected by this. That's right. Thousands let go and it's being funded by retention bonuses from executives. Retention bonuses valued at $7.6 million, I believe. The fund, 500000 So sure, there's that too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I hate to leave it off on a on a bummer note, but that's the way it goes. That's uh, it for our podcast this week. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. You can find other podcasts over at iTunes if you want to check that out, as well as at BIV.com. And Tyler, where can people connect with you? Yeah, go to at Reporton on Twitter. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And if you want to say hi to me, also on social media at Haley Wooden, H-A-Y-L-E-Y-W-O-O-D-I-N. This is it for now. Enjoy the rest of the week and we will see you next week.